I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff. I'm a PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto. And I'm Matt Bernico. I teach media studies at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. This week on the podcast, we are going to keep it a little bit lighter. Uh, last week, we talked about how, you know, the whole planet is slowly getting burned out by capitalism, and that's a huge bummer. Uh, <laughs> some people even messaged me and said it was a huge bummer, and I was like, ah. Well, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, so this week... They're we're not here. wrong. <laughs> They're not wrong. It's a huge bummer. I don't know. Uh, this week, though, we're going to try to lighten the mood a little bit and uh, kind of take it easy um, by reflecting on uh, what some people have called America's artist, uh, the whole country's very own artist, uh, the, his, the adopted aesthetic of all of America. And that is a fella named John McNaughton. Um, John McNafton, I guess, if you... Uh, if you pronounce it like laughter. No, I don't. I think it's McNaughton. <laughs> no, I think it's McNaughton too. Um, <laughs> so John McNaughton, for those of you that don't know, he's a, he's a painter. He rose to prominence uh, during the, um, the, the primaries. Uh, and he is just a, just a wild dude with a lot of very, um, how should I put this? Creative interpretations of events past and present. Uh, paintings just riddled with symbolism. I mean, there's a Dan Brown novel in here for sure. Uh, just uncovering the layers and layers of, uh, of of meaning that he puts on the canvas. Uh, and we're going to try to to take a few of those apart. Um, but don't worry, we are going to talk about uh, communism um, as we go and uh, talk a little bit about some things like socialist realism and uh, kitsch and uh, what Christian kitsch might be like. Um, but just to kind of set the stage, Matt, uh, do you want to give us like a roadmap here of, uh, some of the Naughton paintings we're going to, uh, examine? Yeah. Um, so we've selected sort of, uh, a smattering of paintings that we can kind of unpack throughout the show. Uh, we're going to start with one called Via Dolorosa, which is, uh, as Dean told me just before this, uh, which means, uh, <laughs> the way of the cross, I guess a Catholic thing. Protestants don't know about it. We don't know any words that are in different languages, just English. So we're going to um, take a look at that painting here, and then we'll kind of move our way through some of McNaughton's uh, more famous pieces. Uh, we've done this on a previous episode, but this time we're getting really into it. So not just jokes, but analysis. That deep, good, <laughs> scientific, socialist analysis that you weren't here for. You're here because it's a Christian podcast, but also you get the scientific socialism. That's so, right. Uh, science degrees. <laughs> science degrees. Uh Mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Um, so <laughs> we're going to start off taking uh, taking a look at Via Dolorosa, uh, John McNaughton's painting that is uh, just a masterpiece. Dean, how would you describe this to somebody who is, uh, say, listening to a podcast and wondering what we're talking about? Yeah, okay. So let me suggest a, a, a task for those playing the Magnificast home game. Say you're listening to this in your car or you're you know, not able to get on the internet right now. Um, as we go through these paintings, we're just going to create you know, a word picture and you can create a, a brain picture, a thought picture, uh, out of that word picture. And then later on, you can compare it to the real thing. I mean, of course, you're never going to approximate the artistic genius that is John McNaughton. Um, but you can do your best imaginatively and just kind of see where it goes. So uh, I'll give you just a brief scope of, of what we're looking at here. Um, the first uh, first painting in our curation, our special curation in the Magnificast Museum. Um, so Via del Rosa, in the center of the frame 
is uh, an image of of Christ being uh, burdened by the cross, like you might see in a Stations of the Cross um, series in a church. And uh, coming to his aid is a a young gentleman, uh, probably in his mid-twenties. He looks like he just rolled right in off of uh, Wall Street. And he's got one arm on Jesus' shoulder, you know, comforting our, our Lord and Savior, and another arm outstretched a little bit. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Uh, and then surrounding these two figures, um, these two holy men, are uh, just a smattering of all kinds of people. Um, and when I say all kinds of people, I don't just mean all kinds of random people. I mean people like, uh, well, okay, here, here's just a couple. There's, you, you've got Mother Teresa, um, really familiar face. You know, you definitely are going to recognize her. If you look a little closer, you might see someone like uh, John Calvin, you know, a few um, prominent theologians. Uh, John Paul II's in here. Um, and if if you keep on looking, you'll notice uh, other fun uh, folks, for example, like uh, Karl Marx or uh, Vladimir Lenin, um, Chairman Mao, Joseph Stalin, and, you know, uh, some some deep cuts like, uh, well, I'll save some of the some of the special ones, but, you know, a variety of uh, American presidents. You've got some terrorists in here, just uh, some big giants of humanity from across the spectrum gathered around to see this scene. Yeah, uh, some people uh, that you would expect, definitely all of the Bible boys are here. You got Judas, you got uh, unnamed former disciple. <laughs> you have the <laughs> Apostle Paul, for sure. You know, all these great these great friends throughout the Bible and history. But then you got some real weirdos. Uh, Sigmund Freud's back there. Isaac Newton, uh, Louis Pasteur is back there for some reason too. Um, and then you got some other people who don't have names, but are just kind of like archetypal, are just kind of archetypal figures in our society. Um, for example, my favorite character in the entire painting is sort of like a, like a, like a doughy sort of man in a suit jacket holding a Bible in the air. And John McNaughton has titled that man, uh, in the background to be a politically correct teacher or sorry, politically correct preacher. And, uh, you know, pretty great, pretty great to include him right back there, uh, that he's yeah. politically correct. It's uh, a really important thing. <laughs> we know that he's the politically correct preacher because there's a really fantastic um, gadget on John McNaughton's website where a few of the paintings are called interactive paintings. And you can scroll your mouse across the faces uh, of these beautifully rendered individuals and get a little bit more knowledge about it. So, for example, uh Politically correct preacher, um, short description follows, uh, in today's society, often political correctness is preached from the pulpit. The Bible's interpreted to fit the mold of feel-good preachers who claim good is evil and evil is good. Uh, there's some more, there's a, there's some biblical judgments that follow, but that's the kind of flavor text you're getting on an image like this. There's so much going on in this picture and uh, so many sort of historical figures. I mean, obviously some of our favorites, um, we got Lenin, we got Marx over here, um, under the Marx picture, John McNaughton has written this kind of big explanation of uh, who Karl Marx was. Uh, but uh, <laughs> at the very end of the big explanation, uh, John McNaughton writes, you might say communism is the great antagonist of Christianity. And I guess, you know, not exactly wrong, but as we've shown on our podcast, there's some complications with that, John McNaughton. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lenin also uh, killed like a gazillion Christians, in case you didn't know. Um yeah, they're all they're all there though. All of these guys. Um, it's kind of just a weird thing to put all of these people, these historical figures, around Jesus, and like they're all responding to him in one way or another. Like um, some people are like crying and very upset that Jesus is about to be crucified, uh, but Karl Marx and uh, some of the other folks are like pointing at him and like jeering. Um, so kind of an interesting tableau he set up here for us. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Uh, there are loads of communists in here. So we mentioned Stalin and Lenin. Uh, Fidel is in here. Kim Jong-il is in here. Um, Khrushchev, he's back there too. Khrushchev. Uh, Mao. My favorite though. <laughs> okay, here's my favorite in the entire painting. Um, just scroll. I don't know if you've seen this on map, but put your mouse on, on Khrushchev. And then scroll just to the left. You're going to see Satan. And then right underneath Satan. Go ahead and uh, check that guy out. Christian leader? Yeah, go ahead and read that description of oh. Christian leader. <laughs> it's so good. Oh my god, I wasn't <laughs> expecting this. Okay, uh, Christian leader, right, uh, right by. Okay, to the left of Khrushchev, and then uh, below Satan, 
Christian leader. <laughs> this represents a modern Christian leader whose image cannot be shown because of copyright restrictions. <laughs> uh, why do I feel like there's a backstory to this? I know, right? Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, so that's just what's so great, I think, about uh, about this website in general is there's all kinds of Easter eggs floating around in these paintings, and you can just uh, you can lose. I mean, if you're anything like us, you can lose a whole a whole couple of hours to uh, uncovering them and, and giggling uh, about them. I mean, we were, we've been looking at these paintings for like 20 minutes, and I just now discovered Christian leaders. So the gifts keep on giving. Yeah, um, you know, I love when I find Easter eggs in video games or in movies or something, but now here's a painting with Easter eggs, and really, that's what art <laughs> has been missing all of these years. That's true. Uh, that's what we've needed. Every time I go to the museum now, it's going to be a big disappointment, because I'm going to say, yeah, but where can I put my cursor? Uh, excuse me, uh, art art attendant, uh, can you point me to where all of... <laughs> where all the easter eggs are in this painting <laughs> listen i know you got your degree at a real life school i know that you have an actual degree in art history but uh if i like if i put my uh, my smartphone over this part of the painting what am i going to see <laughs> what kind of flavor text is going to come up <laughs> yeah uh so uh oh it's also probably worth noting too that john mcnaughton himself is in this painting he's been he's painted himself in here right behind jesus pulling this big old cross down the street so that's something to think about too <laughs> he is prominently displayed um, okay, so there are all these people looking on. Uh, John McNaughton's in there. Jesus is in there. Uh, if you hover over Jesus, guess what it tells you? Uh, he's the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, obviously. Um, <laughs> the uh, the sort of like modern Christian is there with Jesus and uh, just, I guess, just hanging out with him. Just, uh, just there telling everyone to chill out. It's okay. Jesus has got this. What a weird picture, honestly. I have no idea. It is a collection I have no idea of a lot, think. a lot of things. Uh, I, it's, we need the Dan Brown novel, is the, is the thing. We're never going to have the interpretive key until Dan Brown does the research for us. This is like a really weird, like, uh, this is like the fourth the fourth uh, movie in the uh, Bill and Ted universe where they get all of these <laughs> figures. <laughs> yeah, there's no Socrates in here. I don't know where Socrates is at. Uh, Joan of Arc's here, though. <laughs> Joan of Arc is here. I think Beethoven's in here somewhere too. So like, uh, yeah, we're Beethoven. all here. Uh, except Bill and Ted, I don't see them either. But they're probably just in the back. Can't see them. Probably, yeah. I mean, that's where they would be, right? Yeah, I think um, so. All right, so uh, that just gives you an idea. You know, we thought we'd we'd sort of start out with uh, just a, a kind of biblical epic painting. That would be one way we could describe this uh, before we get into some of the political narrative um, that John McNaughton tells over the last you know decade. He's he's really chronicled um, the history of the United States in a, in a series of paintings. Um, so, what do you think, Matt? Are we ready to uh, move on? I mean, have you obviously like <laughs> nobody's really done with this painting, but uh, you know, are you willing to come back to it later on your own time? Yeah, I think so. I think I can I can say that. Uh, All right. I will come back to this later in my own time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, I just found Castro. I didn't know he was in. I, I know you said he was in there, but I didn't see him. And now I see him. And I'm glad that I've seen him. Yeah, it's not a bad rendition. Like, no, uh, it's like I saw that it was him and I was like, oh, Castro's in here. Um, yeah. You did it, McNaughton. Uh, so uh, the Forgotten Man. Um, this is the the first painting in a series of paintings that McNaughton did. Um, just kind of you know, reflecting on the state of the United States. Uh, this is when Barack Obama was still the president. And, uh, man, it is something else. Um, Matt, I, I went ahead and drew us into the, um, you know, cine- cinematographically into the last painting. So I'll invite you to do this one. Yeah. So The Forgotten Man's a really uh, important painting within the McNaughton Ovoir. Uh It was one that somebody actually bought. <laughs> okay, people have bought a lot of his paintings, I guess. But Sean Hannity bought this one on TV. Um, it was an episode of Sean Hannity's show where he bought this painting from So you know it's real. So you know it's real. He bought it, as one uh, source reports, for six figures, which is uh, hard hard for me to want. I I don't want that to be true, but it is. But do you think that's just like a trade of like six small figurines? (laughs) Yeah, it's all of, uh, it was all Sean Hannity's like D&D minis. And now uh, John McNaughton. He's like, you know, I haven't, I haven't played with my regular party in a while. I really, I think we've fallen apart. Honestly, you can have these. <laughs> it's okay. I don't. This character died a long time ago. Uh, okay. Uh, so the painting itself is absolutely stunning. Uh, again, another big crowd of people is kind of what you see in the back. 
Uh, the big crowd of people is standing before the White House, so that's good. Sort of a really patriotic scene out in Washington. Um, the big crowd of people that I mentioned, they are all former presidents. All the presidents are there. All your faves. Um, you got uh, Abraham Lincoln. You got Reagan. You got uh, George Washington, John F. Kennedy. I, can, I can't name them all, uh, but they're all there. Every single one of them. Um, and then right sort of in front of all of the, uh, other presidents, uh, there's James Madison, um, and also Barack Obama. Now, uh, what, what's gonna, what's going on here is kind of complicated. So let me just, uh, really walk you through it. Uh, Barack Obama is here in the foreground of the painting, standing with one foot upon the constitution while James Madison is sort of gesturing towards the constitution, like, Hey, that's the constitution. Don't stand on that. Okay. (laughs) So then off to the side of Barack Obama standing on the Constitution is uh, a character that reoccurs throughout John McNaughton's paintings called the Forgotten Man. The Forgotten Man's just like a uh, sort of regular-looking white guy with a button-up T-shirt on a bench. And all the other presidents are gesturing towards him like, Barack Obama, you've forgotten this man. Um, but Obama, he don't care. He don't care at all. Um, It's also worth noting, too, that in the interactive version of this painting, it does list every single one of these presidents and right under their name uh, or right under like their sort of like uh, place in the presidency. For example, Barack Obama was the 44th president. Uh, It also lists the national debt at the time they were president. Yeah. So Um, earlier when I was when I was chuckling as you were describing this, I actually hadn't noticed that the first time. And I did now just mousing over them. Uh, The national debt of every single president of the United States apparently is here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty wild. So some of them are very low because they were like, you know, the second president. And some of them are 20 trillion because it was Barack Obama. Um, so let me just do a quick uh, let me just do a quick reading of the Barack Obama John McNaughton caption. Uh, so uh, on the figure of Barack Obama standing on the Constitution, John McNaughton says, Obama rode into power on the slogan of change and change we have. But is it the but is it what the American people had in mind? Mr. President, you took an oath. And then in quotes, I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of the president of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Mr. President, what have you done? John McNaughton writes all these captions as if they were like love letters to the person. Uh, um, my favorite is that he spelled road wrong uh, right yeah, at the know, beginning. Obama rode into power. I love it so much because, like, okay, you know, spelling isn't everyone's strong suit, and that's fine. But, like, millions of people have looked at this, for sure. And Sean Hannity bought it, and no one, like, had the the sensitivity to just pull him aside and be like, hey, listen, there's a typo on your website. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the sort of signification of all of the symbolism in this picture is pretty clear, I think, to all of us. Obama's a bad guy, and he stands on top of the Constitution and doesn't respect it. He forgot about that man. He forgot about that one man. And, you know, to be honest, he looks just like every other man I've ever seen. So it's not hard He's to forget He's pretty him. forgettable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have, like, a big fancy hat or any kind of, like, sort of special name tag. He's just a guy that you could definitely forget. Yeah, he's got, like, a Pearl Snap button t-shirt. Or, uh, yeah, like, flannel on for some reason. Um, some, like, nondescript blue jeans. Uh, some, like, shoes that my dad kind of wore. Oh, he's married, I guess. I just saw the wedding ring. Um, oh, yeah. Man, where's his wife, though? Talk about the forgotten man. I know. Like, did he forget her, too? Yeah, forgotten woman. Ooh, more like it. So this is a painting that Sean Hannity again paid like a million dollars for, which is uh, <laughs> I don't know. I can't even deal with that. Or at least nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars. <laughs> exactly. Um, right. So uh, from these two paintings, you can quickly see sort of the type of political ideology that's working here on John McNaughton, America's painter. Um, he's really into Jesus, and he thinks everyone should kind of be into him as well. And also, Barack Obama is not great, but he does love uh, John McNaughton, not Barack Obama. Uh, John McNaughton does love the Constitution. So um, there you go. There's one more kind of added feature to this um, painting that we should probably talk about quickly, is that in the foreground kind of surrounding the Constitution – um are a bunch of um like uh uh political legislation like ty- like they're pieces of paper with names of political legislation on them <laughs> and then there's also lots of money on the ground like just kind of s- s- everywhere so like so some ironically, of the they're all legislation... single dollar bills 
Yeah, exactly. It's like the cheap. It's like cheap legislation. Um, so some of the some of the bills that are on the ground are the social security net, uh, which is not like a bill, but just says social security net on it. Um, uh, there's one that says the Patriot Protection. Oh, shoot, I can't even read it. Uh, the, pa- the Patriot Protection Care Act. I don't know what that is either. Again, I think that's made up, but it's just like supposed to represent. Just politics and money. Oh, disgusting. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right. Uh, we should probably also note the caption on the Forgotten Man himself. Um, this is really important because there's going to be an entire epic narrative related to the journey of this Forgotten Man. Uh, so understanding him at what we might call rock bottom or the beginning of this hero's journey is very important. Um, so <laughs> I'll just pull out a couple of uh, important quotes. So first of all, McNaughton writes, he represents every man, woman, and child of every color and creed who is an American. Uh, White men, that's just what they do. Uh, Like you and me, he hopes for a better life to find the American dream of happiness and prosperity. But now, because of unconstitutional acts imposed upon the American people by our government, we stand on the precipice of disaster. Uh, He asks a variety of of questions, one of them especially pertinent to us is uh, the following. This is a long long question with some commas. He says... uh, Do you think that the redistribution of wealth, uncontrolled spending, and free handouts for everyone at the cost of burdensome taxation and destruction of our financial system will lead us to some kind of socialistic utopia? Uh, So those are just the kinds of... No, I don't think that it will. No, I don't think so. I don't think anyone really does except for John McNaughton uh, (laughs) because he's genuinely afraid of it. Um, But anyway, that's the the kind of character um, that we're dealing with. So we'll move on to some of the next uh, paintings in a second here. But before we do that, let's just take a break, take a step back, and uh, talk a little bit about what what people really come to this podcast for, uh, Christianity and communism slash socialism. <laughs> um, the, uh, I think, like, so talking about John McNaughton is interesting because he's not just a, a like guy who paints but he's actually tapped into a weird cultural moment and he's like selling these paintings to actual people who have cultural influence and he's trading on christian themes and political themes and there's all kinds of weird uh aesthetic sort of elements built into it um and i mean there's a lot of different kind of socialist theories about how art works or how it should work um, but, uh, we thought it might be fun to use this as an opportunity to talk about something like Soviet realism, right? So this is sort of, uh, art made, uh, with a direct connection to the masses, uh, the, the workers, actual human beings of Russia. Um, and, uh, you, you might sort of wrongly read something like John McNaughton, I think as, uh, like a, <laughs> like, um, you know, coming down to the masses in a, in a weird, like similar propagandist way. Um, but I think there's some important differences there. So Matt, you're a, you're a real arts guy <laughs> more than me. So I'm going to throw that over to you to sort of maybe um, set more of the, the discursive parameters that we can actually talk in. Yeah. I'm an arts guy. I don't know if that's <laughs> true. I've been to museums before though. Um, yeah. So I think John McNaughton is really interesting for all the reasons you said. He definitely has sort of, tapped into like a cultural moment um john mcnaughton's fun for us because we can make fun of him and it's very easy because his paintings are just over the top and silly and um follow like just you know have a, a kind of like out there political message um but it is kind of a bummer because uh people do take him seriously and some people actually really like john mcnaughton um for example <laughs> this is just an anecdotal uh, example but still i think it's i think it holds up um I think a, a few months ago, I, I tweeted ironically about a John McNaughton painting. The irony wasn't directly obvious unless you kind of know me, but I got so many followbacks and so many like faves from like MAGA <laughs> uh, folks. It was uncomfortable. So it's not like there's no audience for this type of thing. There clearly is, right? People, um, especially like, I mean, in sort of like the end of Obama's uh, presidency, and there was like this like spike in very conservative takes, these types of things became really popular. Um, I read one article about John McNaughton too, uh, where he was selling these in, uh, so John McNaughton, quick, quick history lesson on who he is. Um, he lives in Utah and he went to Brigham Young University and they even sold the, his paintings in the BYU bookstore, which is pretty crazy. Um, just 
because like I can't imagine seeing one of these in a university bookstore, but okay. <laughs> hey, it happened. Anyways, uh, they purportedly made a lot of money off the paintings, but ended up uh, removing one of them because it was too political, and he found that very distasteful. But anyways, there's a, all I'm trying to say is that there's an audience for these types of things. People really <laughs> like these paintings. I feel like I have to go through a lot of lengths to try to explain and convince people that people actually like John McNaughton paintings. <laughs> okay. All right, so this is definitely a popular type of art in the sense that people like it. There's an audience for it. Again, just reiterating that point. Um, I think, artistically speaking, it's hard to say like what type of genre this is, right? It's a heavy-handed sort of um, political message. It's propaganda. I think we could say that is not even a stretch. Um, I don't think anyone would disagree to saying it's propaganda. Um, but it doesn't do the things that art usually does. Uh, I mean, art usually does you know, whatever the artist's intention is, but like, you know, it's usually a type of expression within uh, certain conventions of style and format with regards to painting. Um, but John McNaughton's pieces are really weird because like they are for a specific type of pe- uh, people, for a specific audience that communicate a heavy handed political message. They are not super aesthetically pleasing. They're just kind of like, they're just kind of like uh, just paintings shoved and filled to the very brim with every type of like uh, hollow political metaphor you can think of. And usually those metaphors are not very like veiled. They're pretty obvious. So I think it's safe to say that what John McNaughton has made is just like a, a lot of kitsch art. So uh, kitsch art, we might just say is like mass produced art. Um, it's for the masses. It's not like uh, to make you think about things, right? It's not like um, an expressionist painting where you're like, huh, what could this possibly be? <laughs> the the <laughs> message is very clear. The message is so clear, in fact, that John McNaughton puts them on T-shirts. Okay, so it's kitsch art. Um, historically, when it comes to kitsch art, people talk about all kinds of other types of like artistic movements. Um, the Nazis were really into kitsch, sort of like the mass production of images, um, and uh, you know, advertising is a type of kitsch. If you think about it, there's lots of Christian Christian kitsch out there in the world. Um, I mean, you walk into any Christian family bookstore, uh, look on the walls and like see all of the weird garbage you can buy. Um, but we can kind of circle back around to that later. Christian kitsch is maybe its own particular thing. But I, I also don't think that uh, what John McNaughton does is entirely not Christian kitsch because of all of the prominence of Jesus in a lot of his images. Um, we're we're going to talk through here when we already have started The Forgotten Man, The Empowered Man. Um, some of his other sort of more political paintings, but John McNaughton has an entire sort of um, uh, like portfolio of religious paintings as well that are very kitschy in the sense that they are just like overtly sort of an overt message uh, with not much sort of like artistic interpretation needed. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, kitsch, I think is what John McNaughton is. Dean, does it seem right to you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, <laughs> like, the fact that this is uh, in part something that John McNaughton believes so sincerely kind of <laughs> almost makes me want to put it in some other weird category, but I couldn't think of one. I can't think of some somewhere else it would be except for like uh, like bad authenticity, <laughs> like some kind of there's not a, a category that exists for it, I guess, other than just like sort of glorified amateur painting. Um so kitsch is probably the best way to to put it because it is designed to be just reproduced over and over again. And uh, like you said, put on t-shirts and mugs uh, so you can drink your coffee out of uh, <laughs> out of all these crazy people's heads, I guess. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, like what's wild about McNaughton and trying to think through how his art functions is that it's not kitsch in the same way that like if you go to Walmart, you can buy like a photograph of... I don't know, like a like a bridge in Amsterdam or something. And uh it's like the same picture of a bridge in Amsterdam that like every person uh ev- like everyone's aunt has one or something. Um like it's not kitchen that same way, right? Because that's like completely innocent. It has no um it has no actual value except as like a purely decorative sort of function. Um but in this case, like <laughs> there's something uh that I think McNaughton is assumes is actually artistically valuable or uh like something you would maybe want to have in your home or something but is actually like really intentionally off-putting like brutally didactic uh in a way that kitsch often is not um so it's like it's to me it just strikes me as like a really weird thing like you can't 
talk about it exactly because it just defies so many categories only because like i can't imagine art criticism actually imagining a john mcnaughton <laughs> so i actually looked a little bit through google and i couldn't actually i couldn't find like any serious sort of criticism of his pieces uh which is unsurprising to me but i think that you're right there is like to say this is kitsch is not um is not to say this is like the same as going to walmart and buying like a live laugh love plaque for your mom or something right there's something else kind of going on here. I think that in for John McNaughton, I think he imagines his art because it says something critical. Right. Um, and, like, that is, I think, for him what it means to do, like, some kind of serious art. But I think that he's wrong because <laughs> this, <is laughs> seem- this is something, like, even stranger. Um, I mean, it, like, if, if uh, John McNaughton painted this and it was completely done, it was, like, done in a completely ironic way. I would probably feel way differently about it, but since he is so authentic about it, it's like awkward and kind of embarrassing a little bit to even think through it like that. Yeah. It's like in complete honesty, like this very painting, the forgotten man could be like the DVD cover of like a Tim and Eric DVD or something, you know, like I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to buy that. Yeah, exactly. Because it would be very funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, There is some kind of other weird connection I think we can make here. And, uh, we have to do a little bit of thinking through what it actually means. Um, so I'm going to propose the idea, and we'll see if this sticks for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's propagandistic, right? There's sort of like a real political message to it. There's a sense in which it's critiquing uh, the hegemony of, of the Obama era or of liberalism or of socialism somehow, but not really. Um, it's for the masses. Um, and that is clear because you can get it on T-shirts. Uh, it's kitsch because it's mass-produced. You can buy it, that kind of thing. Um, it's also, like, really gross uh, and that kind of thing. Um, so it's it's definitely supposed to persuade people to sort of believe some certain things. It appeals to people with certain types of sensibilities already, right? So it's, it's propaganda. Uh, but, Dean, what if John McNaughton has actually just made many iterations of very conservative socialist realism <laughs> uh okay so i th- i think there's there's something to that thesis um but i think it has to be augmented in a, in a certain way we could talk more about that in a minute because here's here's what i think it gets at it gets at something where uh socialist realism is is kind of an attempt to like remake the world in a certain way um through artistic projects like uh like to create um an aesthetic environment where people believe that certain things are possible or true or real uh and it's a a sort of coming together of like um really intentional thinking by people who actually know what they're doing like specialists uh but also like mass um mass appeal and like intentional mass distribution uh where i think it's a bit different though is that um i mean not only is it different in terms of ideology obviously but uh (laughs) like soviet realism has nothing to do with like the demands of the market for example um i mean you you could just like be employed and that's like what you do uh whereas something like john mcnaughton like uh (laughs) if nobody bought this stuff like he couldn't make this kind of garbage um and secondly like we we would almost have to talk about it as like a fundamentalist realism uh or like a a hyper conservative reactionary realism um which uh yeah i mean maybe there's like some analogs but it's like uh like a, a dumbed down version or something of the structure of like socialist realism in that way what do you think about that okay yeah okay so maybe saying it's socialist realism is overstating it but there's something there and i think that we should yeah. take some time to sort this out and also look at more john McNaughton paintings okay <laughs> So socialist realism is a sort of artistic movement that most people uh, associate with the Soviet Union, but especially with the Soviet Union sort of post-1920 and during its Stalinization, for sure. Um, That's when socialist realism is sort of uh, rises as the artistic and aesthetic movement of the Soviet Union. Um, It is so much the aesthetic of the Soviet Union uh, because like Stalin says, like, this is it. (laughs) And then it was. (laughs) Um, pre pre Stalinization uh, of Russia, um, there were these like types of artistic guilds that were kind of interesting. That different members of like the like artistic avant garde in Russia were a part of, but Stalin kind of put an end to that and sort of subsumed them all. 
So that's an interesting thing that happened. <laughs> but anyways, mm-hmm. uh, Stalin's whole like plan behind uh, socialist realism, um, I mean others too, it's not like he was the only person, but was exactly like what you just said, Dean, um, kind of harness the power of the avant-garde in the sense of it's like world-making types of power. So like, um, I, I don't know how much our listeners know about Russian uh, art and the Russian avant-garde. I assume a lot. Um, but <laughs> the uh, Russian avant-garde was, uh, th- they were a group of artists who were not sort of afraid to throw all tradition away because they were kind of supreme modernists. Um, so like throwing all tradition away and sort of making a new world through like sort of rational means was definitely their jam. So Stalin adopted that kind of philosophy um, but uh, but sort of uh, dispensed with the aesthetics of like suprematism or like other types of like avant-garde movements uh, for like a more um, mass focused type of art. So then that's like where you get like, you know, all of the all of those images of like um, workers and factories with their fists raised and so on. It's type of it's a type of art and a type of aesthetic that communicates the ideas of socialism, especially Soviet like style socialism, to the masses that um, are out there. Um, so, uh, so you could say that like um, Soviet realism or socialist realism, I guess, uh, is also a type of kitchen that's mass uh, produced, but it's different in some important ways. Uh, the socialist realism of Stalin is also something that people really love to hate. So, if you ever read any sort of art critics uh, from the 20th century, they are not a fan of that aesthetic. And, you know, there are reasons to have that type of criticism. One of the most famous essays, I think, at least, of socialist realism is by a guy named Clement Greenberg. Uh, There's an essay called The Avant-Garde and Kitsch, uh, in which he kind of takes uh, socialist realism to task, um, and the avant-garde in general to task. Um, So Greenberg, um, talking about socialist realism, says this. Since these regimes, uh, these meaning like, he means basically all sort of, quote, totalitarian regimes, so he's lumping in um, the Soviet Union with Nazis and fascists, which is bad ideologically, but uh, he's an art critic for a reason. Um, so uh, he says, since these regimes cannot raise the cultural level of the masses, even if they wanted to, by anything short of a surrender to international socialism, they will flatter the masses by bringing all culture down to their level. It is for this reason that the avant-garde is outlawed, and not so much because a superior culture is inherently a more critical culture. So this is, I mean, basically exactly what I just said. Stalin outlaws uh, the avant-garde while sort of taking their, like, I guess, energy in a certain way, their, like, ideas, um, and uh, sort of switches the the dominant aesthetic just because he can do that, I suppose. Um, So Greenberg's characterization of Soviet realism is that it brings art down to the masses. It kind of drags culture down, not to be more critical, but just... uh, to sort of spread a type of idea about socialism. Uh, so Dean, what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not definitely not an expert on Soviet aesthetics. Uh, and one thing I love about uh, listening to you say all that is uh, this is what it's like to walk with Matt through a museum, by the way, which is actually very fun and good. Uh, you learn a lot in a very short amount of time. That's a good time. Uh, so I can't speak with any authority on it, really. However, I did read exactly one book about Soviet realism, uh, and that's Boris Grice's book, The Total Art of Stalinism. Um, I read this book uh, all the way through a long time ago, and then I kind of reread the beginning of it to think a little more um, about this. Uh, and Grice is really fascinating because he uh, he was like doing art criticism in the Soviet Union, and then after it fell, he um, moved to Germany and then to the United States and some other places and just started writing about like philosophy and art that was happening in the Soviet Union and kind of what it means to think through that today. Uh, So, I mean, he's like, he makes a lot of intentionally kind of controversial claims, I think. Um, But uh, his read on Stalinism in general is to read it as like a gigantic um, aesthetic effort uh, to try to sort of recreate the world in a certain way. Um, Just like you were saying, Matt, where Stalin sort of internalizes this habit uh, or the sensibility from the avant-garde that tradition is something that you can just overlook and you can build something else in its place. Um, but I think what's really fascinating about the way that Gross reads it is it's actually sort of a counterpoint to the Greenberg stuff and intentionally like he interacts with that literature. Um, so he says uh, things like this. 
Um, Gross writes, Socialist realism was not created by the masses, but was formulated in their name by well-educated and experienced elites who had assimilated the experience of the avant-garde and been brought to socialist realism by the internal logic of the avant-garde method itself, which had nothing to do with the actual tastes and demands of the masses. So, like, okay, he kind of agrees with the the Greenberg thesis that... um, you know, the the avant-garde is kind of, like, brought down to the level of the masses. Um, but what I think is a little bit more interesting is that uh, that's not necessarily, like, a bad thing. Um, and, it, and it's not necessarily a good thing either. Uh, but for Grice, it's just, like, a thing that happened. Um, that this is sort of a, a really wild experiment of bringing extremely, like, niche and uh, accelerate, accelerated ideas um, into, like, more banal daily life. And there's something kind of, like, radical and wild about that, actually, um, despite whatever other kind of problems there might we might want to, like, index in terms of uh, the Stalinization of Russia. Um, I don't know, Matt, what do you think about the, the gross story of, uh, of all of that, of socialist realism? Yeah, I think Gross's take is a little bit better than Greenberg. Um, way more nuanced. I mean, Gross wrote an entire book. Greenberg wrote uh, an essay. Um, so <laughs> you got to expect that a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think that just uh, Gross pointing out that socialist realism is not just like sort of this like dumb art, but it has like sort of like a, an avant-garde method to it um, kind of overturns a little bit what uh, Greenberg says about, you know, like uh, about like a lack of critical culture or some things. I think socialist realism is uh, a type of critical culture, actually, because it is like a it is itself a critique and it's like a world building type thing. Right. So it has to have some type of like criticalness in it uh so i think that yeah Grice gives us a little bit of a bigger way to think about socialist realism um than just like i don't know it's bad and it's for just everybody or something yeah for sure um i think it's cool too because like uh (laughs) it's really easy to write off Soviet or socialist realism as just propagandizing, you know, like this is just art made for the sake of trying to like bully people into agreeing with you through, you know, forcing it on them at every turn or something. Uh, But what's actually more interesting about it that Royce points out is that this is like an artistic experiment that's being done and there are creative energies that are involved in it. And uh, it's not as simple as just propagandizing, even though it clearly has a, a propagandist, purpose to it um there's there's a real like set of kind of uh there, there's like an emerging tradition in its attempt to to break away from past certain traditions uh, i think that's like a way more interesting way of of reading it yeah i agree well so it's for those reasons though that i think that john mcnaughton is kind of doing something similar um but but different for important reasons too <laughs> okay <laughs> so we talked about uh sort of a christian painting that he's done and we can kind of talk more about his uh, Christianity in a while because it's, you know, different. Um, it's, it's worth pointing out, too, just to be, like, completely transparent about this. John, John McNaughton is, like, a Mormon. But, like, I think that even his Mormonism is a little bit, like, out of the ordinary. Um, yeah, it's, like, evangelicalized in a weird way. It's Well, it's evangelicalized in a way, but also, like, I mean, Mormonism is, like, you know, a conservative political, uh, a conservative religious ideology for sure. But also, like... Uh, I think that he tends towards a pretty extreme side of that. Um, I don't know. I know some folks who are Mormon and they're just perfectly pleasant and also very progressive. So there. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's all I'm trying to say. Okay, cool. But, um, but there's a certain type of energy that is kind of like following that avant-garde, like ready to recreate the world kind of energy in the sense that like, okay, in Forgotten Man, um, there's this like scene with Obama standing on, the constitution right it's a very critical painting it's critiquing the uh the sort of like uh liberal socialist whatever um thing that john mcnaughton sees in the world um it's it's drawing out a critique about um about sort of the con- about contemporary politics but it's also creating a sort of scene where everyone else in in the united states in the united states politics all of all of the republicans all of the founding fathers they're there and they're like they're also anti-obama right so it's recasting um, the present in uh, in like the light of a imagined past, and like I don't know, sounds like that avant garde <laughs> energy to me, right? That's that world building power that I think um, Stalin saw as like, you know, strong. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, there is something to that, no doubt about that. Uh, and I guess, yeah, this is an interesting thing too because uh, McNaughton's art is uh, it's attempting to have a mass appeal. But I think where one major part where it differs is that it can only really have mass appeal because McNaughton doesn't appear to have a critical consciousness that takes him outside of a certain kind of like banality. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's no um, sophisticated avant-garde that informs these kind of paintings. In fact, most of the uh, profiles in this very painting are all like I'm massing over them now. There, y- you can tell which presidential portraits he has literally just ripped off to paint right. into here. Um, like actual photos of like George W. Bush, for example. Um, so in that sense, it's like uh, I guess that's where it sort of moves back in the kind of kitsch direction. Um, yeah, because he like can't. Uh, he can't actually Im- imagine a totally different world. He's just kind of creating like very strange collages of impressions. Yeah. I think that's a really good observation. It's also the case too. This is my official, uh, if, if I gave the official art man take, this is the official new media uh, take <laughs> that th- his paintings also don't work unless you're looking at them online. Uh, because huh. like, I mean, there are all these figures in them and chances are you won't know who half of them are. Like, I mean, maybe you're a particularly good and patriotic person that knows the American history really well, and you can name all 44 presidents. But, like, even if you can name all 44 presidents, chances are you don't know what James K. Polk looks like. And uh, (laughs) the only way you know is if you looked online at John McDonald's website. Uh, You definitely don't know what his national debt was. No, you definitely don't. (laughs) It's uh, $63 by the way. James K. Polk uh, (laughs) sunk us deep. Uh, the only reason I know anything about James K. Polk, too, is because that uh, They Might Be Giant song, uh, which is yeah, great, same. by the way. So, so there you go. Deploying of the stump. Um, all right. So we've got, like, some some stuff on the table, I guess. That's a really long, like, uh, digression out of some some of the uh, the not- McNaughton expanded universe. Um, but let's dive back in here. Uh, so, all right. Um Maybe we can kind of think a little bit more about how this uh, waffles back and forth between realism and kitsch, uh, or like a kind of fundamentalist realism and kitsch. So we've got uh, The Forgotten Man, that's the first in the series, and then we've got a painting called The Empowered Man, uh, and this also came out during the Obama presidency, um, and uh, it's worth kind of drawing out this scene a little bit, and we can chat uh, about it some more. So, whereas in The Forgotten Man, uh, the Forgotten Man, or the man, I guess... <laughs> As he comes to be the adjectived man, uh, he's uh, off to the left, uh, sitting on a bench, demoralized. Uh, here, uh, McNaughton has zoomed into that very picture, and instead of Obama stepping on the Constitution, now the newly empowered man is holding the Constitution up, and he's the center of the frame. Uh, this is like a weird uh, sort of comic book panel, I guess. Uh, the next panel in the series. Um, so now on the, uh, on the left-hand side where all these, um, you know, sort of seemingly good presidents in McNaughton's view are, were like, you know, horrified by Obama's actions. Now they're like, uh, like literally sort of praising, um, the empowered man, uh, laughing and clapping. Whereas on the right-hand side, all the, uh, the, the spooky bad presidents, um, they look decidedly more defeated. And uh, Barack Obama has his hands out like, oh no, what's coming after me now? Uh, he's like really scared of this newly empowered American man who's uh, also uh, <laughs> holding a wad of cash now, uh, which is pretty oh. amazing. All those $1 bills that were on the ground, he's got them because small <laughs> government in charge now. now. Yeah. <laughs> small government gave $20 to this man and he is empowered. <laughs> His tax returns just got huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, my favorite part of the empowered man is James Madison, who was very upset in the last painting, is now on his knees praying to God. So love that. It was very good. Also, uh, George W. Bush, who was uh, looking kind of ambiguous in the Forgotten Man painting and pointing uh, toward the other side. C- curiously, McNaughton actually puts him on like the the, sp- the suspicious side with the other presidents, um, apparently because of his uh, <laughs> his I don't know I don't know what like some crazy libertarian criticisms of Bush going on here. Uh, but now in the new one, he looks like a little bit more cheerful. Yeah, yeah. All right. So the empowered man is just the inverse of the forgotten man, sort of like it's uh, John McNaughton trying to figure out how he can sort of, uh, you know, how do the American people get through that Obama period? Um, 
just uh, just quick one more quick digression. There is another painting that John McNaughton has made called Obomination, and uh, you gotta look at it. It's uh, we couldn't describe it on this podcast. It's actually beyond <laughs> words. So you just have to look it up because it's too much. And once you see it, you'll be like, they were right, because <laughs> you can't describe what it is. It's I mean, none much. of these work in the in the audio medium, but that one especially does not work. Yeah, well, I mean, like all of the all of the rest of them are like people standing in front of White House, but Obamination <laughs> is just too much. It's too much to say. Um, okay, so there's the Forgotten Man. That's man sitting on bench, looking very sad. There's Empowered Man. That one's a uh, man standing in front of bench, clutching Constitution. Uh, we get to the next one, which I think has a lot more to do with um, maybe. Uh, it's more in the lane of this podcast and that it has a lot of religious uh, symbolism in it, but also uh, political. Uh, so the third sort of panel in this uh, this uh, hellscape of a comic book is called You Are Not Forgotten. And uh, this is uh, a painting that John McNaughton does that signals the beginning of um, uh, Trump's presidency and sort of like the rehabilitation of that man who had been forgotten. So... In this painting, there's a lot going on. Um, <laughs> okay, so again, it takes place in front of the White House. Uh, that same bench that that guy's been sitting in the entire time is still there. All of the old presidents, though, they're gone, which is, I think, pretty important. It is. In their place is this just is like the avant garde moment. Of, like, this is the very, it's so avant garde. It's like avant garde as hell. So all the old presidents <laughs> are gone, and they've all been replaced by, like, like veterans and um, people holding flags and some military people um, and uh, some police officers. Am I missing anybody? Is there anyone else that's in the background that's really important? I can't tell. Uh, that looks about it to me. Um, oh, who's that? Who's the guy right behind Trump? He's actually somebody. Um, well, there's Mike that's Pence. That's like that one. Yeah, Mike Pence is there, but who, there's like that one sheriff that Trump did something with. shoot i don't remember his name it must not be important then if i can't okay so all the presents all the presents have been replaced and now uh all these other people are there just like regular sort of americans trump is standing in the foreground where obama used to be um and then the forgotten man has uh shown up and is now planting a small tree in the dirt (laughs) but he's not forgotten anymore he's with his family there's a woman to his left and a very like a like a young a young girl to his right who i suppose are his family he still has that same shirt on which must be just stanky by this point but uh trump's <laughs> there just a couple years that he's been living on this bench <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> trump's there just kind of gesturing at him like you're doing it i have not forgotten you uh forgotten man um and then this is where the whole picture kind of comes together for me uh so Trump is there in the foreground where Obama was because now Trump's the president. All the old presidents are gone. He's like this new guy that's like here to like, you know, uh, kick ass and take, take names or whatever. But what is really significant about this painting is that Trump is standing on the head of a snake, which is some real biblical Im- imagery right there. I mean, it's some libertarian imagery, too, in a kind of a bad way. But it's it's biblical in the sense of like, you know, Mary treading on a snake. Dean, what can we make of this wild thing here? What what do we do? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is a crazy scene, no doubt about that. Uh, Like, just very surreal. There's a lot happening. Um, But in his very, in his own description, he says at the end, uh, I want a president that will crush the enemies of liberty, justice, and American prosperity. They may have the power to bruise his heel, but he will have the power to crush their head. Uh, a lot going on here, <laughs> um, not least that Trump is some kind of strange analog for the Virgin Mary, I guess. Um, there is so much happening, but it's that it's that weird messianic kind of trope that you see in this painting that is probably the most troubling and the most like genuinely kind of fascist thing about it. Um, the idea of, of sort of seeing Trump as, you know, the crusher of all enemies of American prosperity and then identifying all of that with like Satan as symbolized in the serpent and, and Trump crushing him is just a, a whole nother level, I think, of like really troubling religious symbolism that has actually sort of aggregated around Trump uh, <laughs> to, through no fault of his own, like just purely imposed on him uh, by people who kind of want a theologically... Um, imaginative uh, aura around him 
Yeah, I think that's right. Like, okay, so if this painting was just, like, as it is, but without the snake, sans snake, um, like, it would make complete sense to me. It's like, okay, so now Trump's here, and it's just, like, that's awesome. But, like, adding the adding him, like, sort of crushing the snake is, um, I think, a step towards, like, Christofascism that I was not totally. exactly expecting in this painting. Like, listen, yeah. I teach... I teach at an evangelical college and like, I don't know, I get that people like Trump and they think that he's a big deal. Uh, but it's, but it's not the case that everyone thinks that Trump is like messianic in this way. Um, even though that's how sometimes people talk about him. Um, but anyways, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good depiction about those, like those types of like, uh, the ways that the messianism of Christianity and like the sort of fascism of the U.S. government, especially Donald Trump, kind of mixed together and intermingle within the imaginaries of people. So there's a lot happening here. There really is. Uh, so lots more that could be mined. Um, but let's go ahead and just conclude this comic strip uh, and go to the last uh, painting in the series, which is called Teach a Man to Fish. So this is a pretty recent one. Um really big deal uh the painting is a it like made a bunch of rounds on the internet um but it depicts a man who looks quite a lot like the forgotten man uh whether or not he is exactly the same is not completely clear to me you can't tell because he's got a hoodie on that's the difference yeah that's right he has a a gray hoodie and that's like he finally changed his uh changed his clothes the forgotten man like went to college well, he does actually say that he's a young college student in the description. Uh, so, you know, maybe he hasn't. Maybe this is like a weird, um, a weird like back in time sort of moment. Uh, but what I love about it is so it's a bench. That's a theme in uh, John McNaughton paintings, I guess. <laughs> I've just just noticed. But uh, it's a bench publicly funded, I'm sure. Uh, and Trump is on the right hand side. The the young college uh College Ward is on the left-hand side, and he's looking through a tackle box while Donald Trump uh, is showing him um, a baited hook, uh, some real levels of irony that I don't think McNaught fully understands. Um, and uh, to the left, even further, he, so he has this backpack, old Dirty Jansport down there, and uh, next to that backpack is a stack of books. One on the spine just says socialism. Uh, the one underneath it says justice warrior. So, you know, those are the kind of things that are just being taught in universities these days. These college kids, who knows what they're learning? Uh, but Trump isn't going to teach them that kind of garbage. Uh, he's going to teach them how to fish for himself so that he doesn't have to wait for the government to fish for him, I guess. Um, so it's a pretty serene scene. I mean, if you deleted all the, like, human figures out of it, it would just be like a really boring postcard of, I don't know, sitting in, like, a meadow or something. Um, but, yeah, I mean... There's a lot of kind of ideological weight behind it, uh, but I think one thing worth calling attention to is just in the uh, the product description here. Um, he says, Trump has suggested through his educational policy that people can be taught a skilled vocation. How will Trump make America great again? I believe this mantra is about giving American citizens an equal opportunity to find success. Equal opportunity is different than equal results. You can give a man a pool, a poll, you can, <laughs> you can give a man a poll. It doesn't mean he will use it. Uh, so that's kind of the ideology informing this uh, this serene scene. Uh, Matt, anything kind of stick out to you about the conclusion of this uh, uh, series? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, Donald Trump, didn't. he was the guy that confused vocational schools and community colleges, so maybe not the greatest guy to <laughs> take educational sort of takes from, but okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's a pretty good encapsulation of it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It's also pretty weird. I mean, this is kind of apart from the ideological weight of it for sure. But um, I've looked at a lot of John McNaughton paintings in preparation for this moment right now. And uh, John McNaughton is good at painting two things. Uh, he's good at painting benches and he's good at painting Donald Trump. Um, with this, this painting is the exception to both. Um, because first of all, the, the, the perspective on this, uh, bench is really weird to me and I don't it is know wrong. why that is. Uh, but the, the Donald Trump in this painting is so different looking than all of the rest. Um, his face is definitely an Alec Baldwin, Donald Trump and not like a regular <laughs> Donald Trump. And it really is like, so, uh, if you compare, uh, John McNaughton's teach a man to fish to John McNaughton's, uh, respect the flag. It's a it's an utterly different um, <laughs> Donald Trump, which is I don't really know what to make of that other than like 
it's it's just really strange. Jung Naughton did something weird. So, um, again, uh, I, I mean, I, I referenced another one. So, Respect the Flag is uh, basically it's a painting of Donald Trump in the middle of a sports stadium. And he's, like, on the football field clutching an American flag uh, that's all torn <laughs> up. And it's about respecting America, respecting the flag, all those great things. But it's such a realistic Donald Trump in the sense that he looks, like, like old and weathered, like – I don't know, like he actually like does, flag. like, like, like the flag that he's holding. I mean, Donald Trump is like an old man, like that's what he looks like, and that's what he looks like in the Respect the Flag painting. But in Teacher Man to Fish, he's like young and it looks like Alec Baldwin. So I, I don't know why that is. I cannot only, I, it just must be something like, um, you know, something psychoanalytic going on here. I'm sure, like, uh, we, I need to talk to a Lacanian about this, perhaps. <laughs> Donald Trump is holding it to me very phallic. So, what else can you say? I don't know, but like, um, yeah, just a weird, just a weird thing. Um, Donald Trump is going to teach all these kids how to fish, get them out there. So, uh, again, though, it's it's creating the it's creating the mythos of like uh, of what a Trump presidency looks like, and that mythos is like teaching the young kids. That socialism and social justice warrioring is not a good profession. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I will say more about that point in a second, but I just wanted to point out in the bottom right-hand corner of this painting, he has a signature there, and apparently his signature is just his last name in painted chiller font. So, uh, I don't know, it looks like, or like uh, in like Slipknot font. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. No, I, I think that you're right, though, that... Um, what McNaughton is trying to do is create an artistic universe that he lives in. Uh, I mean, I think you can read a lot of these paintings as basically projecting his own fantasies uh, into, like, his own art and the, the Trump presidency in general. Um, when you read the descriptions, like, he's constantly got this kind of weird uh, self-appointed prophetic tone where, you know, he's like, he's telling everybody what's what. And uh, his art is the thing that everyone is definitely listening to. You know, he's the the Elijah, like, crying out in the desert or something, just waiting for people to listen. And um, I think that gives a kind of weird, like, religious tone to it. But when you get right down to it, it is similar to other kinds of aestheticizations of politics where it's like he's trying to uh, paint the world that he actually wants to live in and uh, also trying to sell that world on coffee mugs and T-shirts. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to pull out one more painting from the John McNaughton uh, portfolio again, just to kind of prove your point. Um, and because I love looking at these these beautiful uh, works of art here. Um, uh, so one of, one of my faves, I mean, they're all my favorite, honestly. Uh, picking one favorite John McNaughton painting is like trying to name your favorite child. Can't do it. Um, uh, but one of my faves definitely is called Expose the Truth. Uh, it's great <laughs> on so many levels. Um, uh, okay, so Expose the Truth is a painting featuring uh, both Robert Mueller and Donald Trump, and it's kind of taking oh, place yeah. <laughs> here. Uh, so Robert Mueller is investigating Trump, but in this painting, Trump's investigating Robert Mueller. Um, so <laughs> the the painting is great. It's against, uh, against, uh, against the backdrop of just like a bunch of people, I guess other politicians. Um, and uh, Trump has is like holding Robert Mueller by the tie, like very aggressively and holding up a magnifying glass to Robert Mueller's face and like looking and like looking at Robert Mueller through the magnifying glass <laughs> as if to say, like, Robert Mueller, who are you to investigate Trump? Trump is going to investigate you. That's um, right. But it's like, you know, it's it's like um, John McNaughton knows what's happening in the world or he's heard like news lines on TV or whatever, like headlines. And, like, he's going to paint the opposite. Like, you can't investigate the president because, like, he's the best. So he's going to investigate Robert Mueller. It's like, um, <laughs> I don't know, definitely just, like, dreaming up some kind of weird alternate scenario of, like, what John McNaughton thinks should happen about the world or something. Totally. Uh, I love, personally, I mean, the paintings are amazing, but the descriptions are especially wild. I mean, there's one called uh, One Nation Under Socialism, which is literally just a picture of Obama burning the Constitution, <laughs> um, which is amazing. But uh, he says all kinds of wild things about socialism. But my favorite two lines in it are, again, at the end, he says, at this very moment, 
our constitution is literally going up in flames. Amazing because it literally is not. (laughs) um, (laughs) The very final line says why socialism failed. And then it links to uh, a link that's outside the website. And if you click on it, the website does not exist anymore. (laughs) And you can like pay to register the domain, which I guess we probably should do. Um, Oh my God. We should do that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, now you know how we spend the Patreon money. Uh, Pulling the curtain back. Um, so anyway, uh, I just, I think like all sort of joking aside, like there is something kind of valuable about just coming through this garbage if you have nothing left to do, which is to sort of get your, um, get your head around like how some people genuinely <laughs> believe uh, the the United States is going or like has gone and what they think about socialism. And uh, I guess like, I don't know, we need some, some good, good uh, Christian socialist realists to, uh, to tell John McDonough off. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard in this episode, and I can't imagine that you uh, didn't, uh, you can uh, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Magnificast. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook group called the Magnificast Basement, where just this week I was able to give someone a PDF of a book they wanted. So that's the kind of service and community you can expect to join there one (laughs) where pdfs are distributed yeah exactly um intro music uh is by amari armstrong uh and outro music is by the illogical spoon uh cool we'll see you next week i don't want to get up for church in the morning church in the morning souls alive heaven come to earth and there won't be no church we'll meet down by the riverside there we'll swim with all creation, never get tired, never bored, don't worry someday, there'll be no damn between us and our Lord.